The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast ahead of the return of the Champions Cup this weekend. Delighted to have Bernard Jackman, Johnny Holland and Wes Liddy with me for the show. You're welcome, lads. And um, look, I will just start, I guess, quickly with um, Munster against Ulster at the weekend, uh, Birch. Um, I don't know what you thought of the match overall. Munster, I'm sure, will be delighted to win it, given the manner in which uh, Simon Zebo was sent off early on. They didn't play particularly well. It wasn't a great game, but uh, they came away with the points. Um, will they be happy, do you think, overall? Yeah, I think they'll be relieved. They'll see it as being a, a positive. I thought the youngsters um, played really well. Uh, I thought Casey showed that if he's allowed to play with a bit of tempo, he's um, that plays to his strengths. I thought Hodden was very good. Um, the bench that came on were, were great. Tyburn, in the fairness, was clearly manned the match and, and showed how influential he can be. Um, but yeah, if you look, if you forget about... Um, the result, I think, you know, the content, there was a lot of... Uh, Ulster, I think Ulster would be more disappointed. I mean... Dan Ulster, being, be, be, to pull his hair out, but he didn't... Yeah, at a time when they needed to actually play, they, they shut up shop and just became unbelievably conservative and let Munster back into the game um, uh, completely. But, yeah, it wasn't a great fair uh, and Ulster would be kicking themselves for for not making it more difficult for Munster, I think, given the fact that they had a numerical advantage. But, yeah, it's just... Second Irish in the provincial in a in a row that hasn't really yeah. um hasn't really shown the talent that the players have. Aesthetically, Johnny, it wasn't great, you know, to watch. The crowd wasn't. Uh, there was only a, a handful of people there because of the restrictions. So, like you know, the atmosphere that you normally have in the games wasn't there. So you have to factor that in. But as Bernard said, it's kind of back to back weeks now where you're really looking forward to an interpro. You hope it might spark something, a catalyst for some decent rugby or even a bit of grit. And it just was a bit flat again, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was flat. And um, I think before you kind of, before Munster actually kind of clawed back and got their win, I think you were actually worrying about the state of play in Irish Trophy again this week. Like after Munster and Connacht was, I thought, very poor. You know, like Connacht was celebrating that kind of a win. Great win. And to be the team that are perceived to be above them, that's fair enough. And Munster will probably be doing the same thing this week and a bit of relief in that. But like, yeah, the quality of play wasn't great. Now, if you look at it, Munster at 14 men, normally that really affects your game. Um, but we still saw, I thought, like, there was a there was an improvement. Now, when I say improvement, it was dire the week before, so there had to be an improvement. But, like, Thomas Ahern got into a bit of space. Jack O'Donoghue made a nice line break. You saw fellas getting into bit, like, bits of more space, which is a, a very important part of them going forward. Like, they have to get into more space when they're carrying the ball. So, like, I think, yeah, aesthetically, overall, it was poor. But from Munster's point of view, I think there was a step back towards the right direction. I think Ulster just have to be very frustrated with themselves because after the last round of rounds of Champions Cup, I thought Ulster finally took a step forward because we were kind of asking where they're going to be so hit and miss for the next, for every round of like, you know, you beat Leinster and then you go and lose again and, you know, you win the two Champions Cup rounds and then you go and lose to uh, Munster like that with 14 men. I just think it's not doing much for their season. Like, and I'd say their fans are, are quite frustrated by it, but, you know, yeah. they just kicked the ball back to, kicked the ball back to Munster and I'd say they thought the weather conditions, which by all accounts were a lot poorer when you were there and I know we played a game up in Limerick on, on Saturday with Cork on, it wasn't easy. Um, so Shannon, I, I, weren't you? Yeah, so like it, it's difficult. The pitches are heavy and there's winds and it, it's not a great time to play rugby, but I think it was actually a lot worse than Bowman Park by the time the evening came. And you don't see that on the TV. Maybe also try to use that to their advantage and man up and just squeeze the game out, like Bernard said. But it was very negative. And I think, you know, they got kind of a bit of their comeuppance by trying to do that with maybe negative rugby and just trying to see it out. And they should have probably kept playing, you know. 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. Whereas of the two teams, I think Ulster will definitely be the more frustrated, even though, you know, away in Thomond Park is not an area um, that they've had particular success with over the years. But just the, way, the matter in which the game panned out with Zebo getting sent off and Ulster did have them by the scruff of the neck for about 20 minutes there in the first half, but they just seemed to take a backward step, albeit credit to Munster, who came back, like specifically through the performance of Ty Byrne, who was just immense again. Yeah, I suppose we, we're kind of looking at it through the Munster prism because there's been so much going on lately, but... Probably the bigger story out of it is is Ulster in some ways. Um, you know, to to be ahead and to have an extra man for sixty five minutes, and I don't know, they're just so set piece oriented and kind of. It was like they just wanted to hold what they had. There was no real intent there that I could see anyway to kind of to go and win the game much. Um, like it was a bruising game, and it was kind of entertaining in that regard. Um, that it was so competitive, but yeah, as you say, probably the quality of rugby. Um, certainly in terms of attack, probably wasn't excellent. Um, I think yeah. I think for Munster, like with a couple of exceptions, Tyg Byrne, as you mentioned, probably Dave Kilcoyne. Um, again, like it's the younger guys that have added the impetus to things. You know, I thought Craig Casey made a big difference. Um, you know, like Jack Crowley had a difficult kind of first day out, but like there was little signs from him here and there. Um, Thomas Ahern was excellent, Hardnett. You know, I know that maybe the standard of opposition obviously has to be taken into account, but like the two best performances this season were against Wasps and Scarlets away when the team was flooded with youngsters. So, I don't know. I mean, at what point do you start reading something into this and at what point do you just dismiss it? Well, well, if you're asking me, I've been reading something into this for the last two years. So, I mean, like, I've... I've But there's... there's, Even some of the young youngsters when they're selected... um, there's almost like it's a good problem in some ways, but like out half is a good example, and, and Johnny knows some of these guys well. But like if Joey is is the, the chosen number one going into the season, like you've three guys behind him that all need time, and they're almost taking each other's time. You've the same situation at tight head, um, with the younger tight heads. Um, it, it's like I don't know, it seems quite haphazard their approach to selection. I know it's difficult to, to blood so many guys in and look, I think ultimately we'll probably see smaller squads in the provinces with with the, the clashes with the international game being taken away. But it, it just it, it's it seems kind of haphazard their kind of method of selection at times. I, I tell you what, this, just the standard overall, Bernard, right? I, I, it, what do we put our finger on here as the issue? Because we came from a brilliant November international uh, window with Ireland, where Ireland played some of the best rugby I've seen in a green jersey for a long time. You take performances like Ulster going to Claremont and the manner in which they played over there. And um, and, and there has been very little rugby, I guess, between, for the Irish provinces over the last few weeks for us to judge on. But over the last two weeks, we've just seen a return to this forward power pack, slow, stodgy type of rugby that is not particularly nice to watch. And if it transfers to the Irish team, which we hope it won't, and we've no reason to believe that it will, but just based on the provinces, you know, it's, it's very difficult to sit back and watch and say, God, Irish rugby is in a particularly good place at the moment, given the manner and the performances over the last few weeks. Yeah, but uh, look, I think if you look at, uh, talk about aesthetically pleasing on the eye, uh, it's Connacht. Um, Leinster, in fairness, are, are pretty um, structured, but because they're so dominant in, in what they do, they end up, you know, um, scoring a lot of points and, and being really effective and playing some really good rugby. Then Ulster... Um, and then it's it's Munster. So we've seen a lot of Munster over the last last few weeks compared to we well, obviously any Leinster. Um, Ulster, for them generally do play. 
Um, but they, they obviously got spooked by the fact that an extra man and, and whatever messages were coming from the sideline just didn't seem to, to, to work and they just became very conservative. Uh, but in general to them, they, they play. Munster, in fairness, they, they're not a team who play play a lot of rugby, um, you know, despite the fact that Slarkham's uh, second is the third season now. Um, yeah. That they haven't they haven't found their attacking game as such. They generally win games by by playing territory and putting the squeeze on, it. and usually they're very effective at converting territory and time in, in the twenty two into points. But against Connacht, we saw that that on that occasion that let them down, and, and they lost the game. Um, and then they won the game at the weekend. But I, I think that's the the issue. I don't think it'll affect Ireland at all, to be honest with you. I think um a lot of the players. Yeah. A lot of players who will be playing for Ireland Six Nations haven't been playing the last four or five weeks. Great, yeah. Okay, well, that's brilliant, and we hope it won't. And Johnny, I look, I, I know you had a piece. You're one of the sole defenders of Yon the Grand this week um, and the RT Rugby website where you're just saying it's madness to call for him to leave the job ahead of his contract finishing up, which is on June the 30th. He has been up in front of the media this week as well and said he's fully committed to the job. It's, you know, he's fully committed to the process and he, everybody knows he's staying until uh, June the 30th, but he understands the frustration with some of the performances. Why do you think that it is madness to suggest that you know he might be allowed to leave or should be allowed to leave early in some quarters? I hold my hands up here now and, and look, we spoke about it last week in the podcast uh, and say that it might be the best and worst idea in the world to give a fresh pair of eyes a chance to create something different at Munster given their performance levels. What's your view on it? Yeah, like I, I don't know if I'd be defending him so much, but I think it's just the, the nature of what we're involved in. I think, like, you know, the I think the, the calling of his head has come from the kind of performance and if that didn't happen, maybe we'd see it out. I think people stay out their contracts anyway and that's because of the structures that we have within the RFU and who's making the decisions. Like it's very, very kind of Munster-based um, supporters that want to see. I think the Wasps game has compounded this as well that you get different coaches in there. Like from my understanding, the coaches are still operating over Zoom anyway and there was just other people on the sideline but um, obviously they have an influence there and then. So I think like, I don't know, the, the kind of the way I put it is that it's very kind of like blasé, throw your money around, replace him. And, you know, he's got a contract. He's not going to walk that easily. I think it would damage his reputation more if he left the place. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of not as much to, to defend him himself. I just think the structures aren't in place there to just kind of start throwing people out and bringing people back in. Like well, that. We, don't like, know, we don't know. We don't know if the structures are in place because of the fact that he's still in situ. But I guess you find out fairly quickly if he was removed um, from his position um, put on gardening leave which is quite common and I know you made the, the Premiership Soccer analogy there which we just parked that for one second but if he was removed you'd find out very quickly if there are the tools uh, within the current coaching setup underneath him the likes of Roundtree say or even if Larkin was given a role on his own um, you know, and, and several others in behind to find out if there are is there a different way of doing things at Munster for the rest of the season well, I, I agree with that like I mean you're definitely going to get a reaction it's just you know, it's hard to kind of just, you know, you get this kind of caretaker manager, maybe the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of thing when he came yeah. back in and it was a big change and they got a bit of a response from it, but it didn't really last that long. And now you will get the change for long enough in Munster to kind of see out the season and maybe create something. So I don't like, I don't wholly disagree with the premise of it. I just think it's kind of, uh, it's a bit knee jerk. Maybe it just doesn't really happen that often. And um, yeah. for the reasons that I said, like it's not just Munster's issue, it's your RFU's issue as well. So that's maybe why, but like I don't disagree with you that you do get a fresh, a fresh impetus, you get different voices. And that's why I kind of said in that article as well that maybe the message just has to come from elsewhere, even if it's the same game plan to a degree, but someone has a different way of putting it forward. You get a bit of freshness with the guys within the dressing room. Maybe the players can drive that themselves through messages from Johan as well. But I think if he's going to be the one 
like the bit of a bite back in the interview beforehand. I think the pressure is coming on and you can't have a guy defending himself first and foremost and then trying to get the team running as well. Like, you know, so I think like we, we, we see a bit of a front from Johan in the media that like he's a real passionate monster man, but I mean, he's left halfway through the season. Like, I don't know if that really lines up. You see, that doesn't tally for me, Wes. You know, and like he came out this week and said, I'm fully committed to, to, the, to the cause. And, and that he might convince himself of that, and that might even be true. But ultimately, how committed to a cause can you be if you're walking away in a few months' time uh, to a totally different challenge, a totally different league, and you're leaving everything behind you? Um, it's a nice soundbite to say that I'm fully committed to Munster, but I just don't buy into, A, whether in fact he is, and B, even if he is, that he can have any material effect on this season whatsoever going forward yeah um i agree with johnny in terms of whether it's like right or wrong or better or worse for the team that he stay or go i think just the likelihood is that that doesn't happen that he's changed and i just think we haven't really seen that before um and you know there's so many kind of stakeholders for want of a better word involved in this decision it seems that nothing's really going to get done quickly i think anyway um, whether he like I don't think it's like like people say they're leaving jobs all the time um, coaches leave gigs all the time I mean I don't really think it should uh, unduly affect the players um, whether he's going or not at the end of the season to be honest with you um, they're obviously feeling the pressure like in terms of the post-match interview the pre-match interview that was mentioned I thought the post-match interview was just a telling and that he was almost trying to make amends for what he'd done pre-match and also probably gave us more tactical insights than he had in the last three years as if a way to justify um, his input to the victory on the night. Um, and then the fact he's been wheeled out again this week would kind of say to me that someone in there said, we better kind of nip this in the bud. So they're obviously aware of the situation and it's getting to him on some level as an organisation, but like... Uh, the whole notion of this pressure that they're under is is is, is quite interesting. I, I think in terms of um, you know, there's obviously internal pressure they put on themselves. There's there's pressure from the media, and there's pressure from the general public. And like I think, I think as as teams in this country come and go, like I mean, I, I don't think Munster are under any great pressure with the general public. Like I mean. The, the amount of people kind of on your back or engaging with you on a daily basis as a Munster rugby player compared with, say, a Mayo footballer, there, there's no comparison. They're not under anywhere near the same pressure. As far as media pressure goes, it's nowhere near front page, back page headlines the way it was in the past. Like, like the pressure and the focus on monster and provincial rugby compared to what it was 5 10 15 years ago is, is diminished hugely so so the fact that there's so much internal pressure as it seems when those external things don't seem to be driving it it nearly makes me wonder like are they just incredibly insular and inward looking and kind of like over embellishing their place in the world to some degree. But, no, but you know? nobody, but, but hang on, but just in terms of Burst and the overall, you know, Wes's point there about pressure and I guess the view from the public or the media about Irish rugby, it seems to me that like if you're critical of a team in this country or if you're critical of Irish rugby in this country, that you're 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 an outcast or you're bland into some sort of shouting, raving lunatic. I don't know how well Irish rugby deals with criticism, to be fair. And if you look at the IRFU in the last year, the response to the women's game, the response to the issues that have come up there, the recent letters as well, any kind of um, 
journalist that has been critical, I guess, of written stuff about head coaches, be it Ireland head coaches or provincial head coaches, coaches over the last few years, has been pretty much panned or labelled as a kind of a, uh, an outrageous kind of shriek like and I, I don't know how well Irish rugby deals with criticism at all in this country to be honest with you. Yeah I think you're great we're very sensitive um, and sometimes rather than actually listen to the point that the, the critique is making it's like oh he he just wants to critique XYZ and that's not the case most of the criticism or the questioning is coming because we want better and, uh, and from a Munster point of view you know Munster are historically one of the top teams in Europe obviously it's a while since they've won it but I think they genuinely should see themselves as as having a rightful place amongst the elite and if you have that rightful place amongst the elite you win this every so often you know you're 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 definitely knocking around finals which unfortunately they haven't been for the last 10 or 11 years in, in, in the elite competition so I think it's it should be understandable that this question is asked um, on Johnny's point yeah for sure we don't see it very often in, in Irish rugby but that doesn't mean it's not worth discussing. It's not worth looking at. Um, and is it, if, if it could lead Munster to be more successful this year in the next six months, well, then it, it should definitely should be deliberated on. You know what I mean? Just because that doesn't happen often. Um, you know, it, the reason it doesn't happen often is because this is a very unique situation. This isn't a coach's contract not being renewed. This is a coach who had been given a contract using a, a, a six-month clause that the IRFU over the last couple of years have felt... Um, uh, it being uh, a good solution to coaching in Ireland, whereas I think this the six month clause is, is absolute nonsense, um, and it's given us the situation that we should we, we should never um, really be in, where one of our our, our, our key provinces um, is in a state of flux in a, in a year where not many high coaches, high profile coaches are available because of the cycle of, of a World Cup, so. You know, no one wants to talk about that. It's just, oh, look at, don't, don't talk about the situation. You know, also, Johan, on that, Bernard, on that as well. Like the fact that Johan McGran has has exercised his right for the six months, right? so he's leaving. He's taken his uh, the, the director of rugby or whatever you want to call it, the head coach is leaving. And um, Stephen Larkin is also leaving at the end of the summer. We know that they, there's strong rumours that most of the South African big name signings are also going to be gone at the end of this season as well. Be that Dialende, uh, Slime, and we don't know what's happening there. And all of a sudden. Munster are left in this situation where they've no coaching ticket. Their star marquee names are also gone at the behest of some guy who's decided, I don't want to, to be here anymore. And it's the province who are going to suffer. Yet Van Graan is the guy that we should be loyal to here and we should be actually saying, oh, you should be allowed to see out his contracts. It's madness. No, I, look, at, I, I, I actually think Johan's a really good, good, good person, uh, a good bloke. And I don't want this to be anti-Johan. I'm just talking about a situation in coaching. The idea that we can't afford to do it um, that's not that's not uh, that's not true because that money is budgeted for. Um, you actually could save some tax uh, by make by paying them that money now and putting them on garden and leave or any coach in that situation. And again, I, I think put it back to the players. You know, um, if if David Kilcoyne has has a chance of winning a European Cup or, or a URC title this year, um, and X course of action is the best possible. It's going to maximize the chance of that happening. But then people at the top need to make that decision. That's the elite sport. You need to basically make decisions on the run to give your team the best, and, you, and the players and everyone else involved, supporters, the best possible chance of, of having silverware. The idea of having to give Johan's messages through different people to get the message across. You know, that's, that's not what elite sport's about. It's not about, you know, everything's okay, Jack. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort that out next year. Like, 
that doesn't that that shouldn't happen in the best teams. They're very reactive. And I'm not saying that, look at I'm talking about in general, but the idea of the idea of because he has a contract for six months, or any coach has a contract for six months, that that should make everyone just go, oh, look, everything's going to be okay. That's not what the best teams in the world are doing, or best companies in the world are doing in any any industry. Um, you know, so we, we need to be able to go right. This is a unique situation. Um, like likewise, if a coach gets chopped, if Gary Ella or Matt O'Connor or whoever get 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 chopped, they get let go straight away. They don't hang around for for six months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You so know, so that's is, just the is reverse true here. Yeah, I know. Look, and it, and it could be the best thing for months. So maybe Johan's influence over the squad is really strong. Maybe this team are on the right track. Like uh, we're not close enough to to know that. Uh, but we can see what's happening on the pitch, though. Well, uh, what we're seeing on the pitch <clears> at the moment would say there's a bit of a divide. But maybe they're going to turn around over the next couple of months. And if they if they do, the people who were close to it made the right decision. But it's certainly something that, you, like as pundits, we should be allowed to talk about um, without without being negative about Munster. It's literally just effectively something's happened to them that's in the public. The performances aren't probably as good as we would like them to be. And I think you were justified to ask. The Absolutely. I mean, that's, isn't that the job of the media and people outside to ask the question? And the question is, I guess, Johnny, what is in the best interest of Munster Rugby here? What is in the best interest of Munster Rugby to make the most out of uh, the next few months so they are in a position of strength come whatever the date is, June 30th, whether that's Van Gran in the helm or not. What's the best yeah, for it, Munster Rugby? I think it's just that the best for Munster Rugby at the moment is the players have bought into something collectively and that they they feel like they're on the right track. So I think as well that, just on that point, I think it's a unique situation as well in that you're losing two of your main influences uh, in the summertime with Stephen Larkin going as well. Maybe if he had stuck around, um, I don't mean, you know, buy into the thing, but maybe if he was just staying around, then he would be the natural one to maybe take over a lot of this stuff and maybe we'd see more of his, his influence in the game because I think, like, when he came in, we saw that there was a slight change and then we saw uh, a further influence in that change with throwing the extra pass. And that, that seems to be gone. I don't know, is that winter rugby or not? But that just seems to be gone. It's not like they're playing at soggy pitches every week, you know? So, like, um, his influence doesn't seem to be pulling through. I don't know, is that becoming a, a one-man show or not? Are they getting their, their voice in the, in, the, in, the, in the meetings and all that? So, I think, like, you know, who's left to take it over? Um, I would like to have seen Stephen Arkin take it over a small bit more, but he's not there to he's not there next year. So that that doesn't seem like a, a natural progression. So then do you give it to a Graham Roundtree, do you get Cozzy back up as we did in the Wasps game? I'm not really sure. Um so yeah, I think once the players feel collectively that they've been given the right messages and the right information and the right game plan to go and do something in the summer before the summertime, then I think Munster will be in an okay place. And, and do the players do the players feel like that, Johnny? And I'm asking the question because the body language against Connacht was like absolutely disgraceful. The players didn't seem to care jot whether or not they were there or not. Against Casta as well, you know, it was a sold out Toman Park on a big European night. Again, the players, their body language, the performance level, the commitment was just so far below what you'd expect on a big European night. So when you're saying that the players are buying into something, what is it that they're buying into? Well, I don't know if they are bought into that. Like, I think what we get, that's what I was saying, what we get from Yon in the media is that, you know, we had a very emotional time, me telling them I was leaving and we were soul searching after Connacht. Like, I'd like to know how much they were soul searching or how many fellas were distraught. You know, I don't know that. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger saying Johan doesn't have that influence, but I yeah. don't know. So like, I think that's the important part of it. I think Johan plays the game with the media that, you know, we're a very emotionally intelligent bunch and we all really buy into it together. I don't know if that's the case, you know. So um so I don't really I don't really know what's going on in the inside there, whether fellas buy into into him or not. But I think if they have bought into him, that Connacht one was a bit a, a big blip. You know, maybe it's the reaction to the news, I'm not sure. 
Um, but there was something gone wrong that day. Maybe if that day didn't happen, we wouldn't be talking about it so much because Ulster wasn't that bad considering they were down a man. But I think yeah. that really just compounded the whole thing, you know. Um, before, I'm, I'm, I look, I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about Munster. Uh, Wes lets me be accused of being a Munster rugby podcast, which we're not. But um, <laughs> just before we leave it, like, you know, you know, behind the scenes, like, I know, like, you have an understanding generally of, uh, better than I do, of, I guess, you know, what, what kind of, the way organizations work like this, whatever, I'm sure they're going to be conducting um, an awful lot of, of um, searches in terms of potential replacements over the next few months and stuff. Meanwhile, the show just goes on. Is the easiest thing just to allow Van Grant to finish out his contract? Whatever happens this season, so be it. But ultimately... Well, it's definitely the easiest thing, whether, whether it's the right thing. Like, I'd agree with you in that it would be prudent to move on if the people you had identified as being the long-term solution could be put in now. I don't think there's people within the organization underneath what's leaving that are going to take over. So I'm not sure what serves you best between the, you know, him staying for six months first, someone else coming in for six months, and then you're, you, they know they're being replaced next season. So my, my bet is that it will stay exactly as the same. But I think any notion of pressure or players not being invested because of you know the tumult in the background frankly like i mean it's rubbish it's, it's not a valid excuse they've one of the best sports psychologists you could ever come across in recruited this summer um you know like think back to the pressure axel was under that yeah. was pressure and yeah. that was pressure a lot of it because he cared so deeply about it himself yeah yeah. So the pressure is nowhere near that. The profile of the team and the tournament is nowhere near what it was then. So, like, <laughs> here goes. There has to be a bit of ownership from the players as well, Hugh. <laughs> it's, uh, we haven't seen a lot of him, but I thought like it was really exciting when he came back and he scored his trial at the breakaway. Uh, and I really wanted to see more of him. I, like, I understand that he hasn't been available to play some rugby in the last month or so. So, like, we just haven't yeah. seen enough of him. And then, he, you know, I, I was slagging that you don't see Simon Zebo making too many big hits. And then he gets sent <laughs> off for a shoulder and head like so. It's uh, it was unfortunate because you'd like to see him. Like I was kind of excited actually when the when the team got selected. I was like, oh, we get to see him again now, and if he's back to his best, which we hope he is. And um, that was unfortunate. Fifteen minutes, like you know, so yeah. disappointing, yeah. right? How do you think the promises feel, Birch, about the um, the European uh, decision this week? That basically the matches that couldn't be fulfilled last time out would be nil all draw. So they get two points each. Um, Leinster, I, I'm sure, feel a little bit aggrieved. We'll say, hang on a sec, well, the, the rules don't seem to apply to us either. Pretty much the same rules have been kind of changed to suit the next round. Do you think they'll have a, a, a grievance here that they might pursue? Leinster, obviously, are, 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 I made a comment they're going to look at um, look at their options again. But I, I just think, in general, um, the competition is, is in such a bad place. Um, I mean, you have the English clubs... Don't want to travel to France this weekend um, because of the, the restrictions or the possible fact that they might have to stay there. Um, the French clubs, you know, Chabal, who's got a lot of power in, in terms of public opinion in France and uh, will be clued into how the public feel about it, came out last Monday night and said um, the French clubs just put out, just forget about the competition for this year. Um, Uriah, Christophe Urias, the head coach of Bordeaux, is is perplexed by the decision to to award a, a draw. So you're you're you're, you're the competition and look at they're being put into a corner because of COVID and all that stuff. But just some of the decisions don't seem to have the buy-in of the stakeholders. Okay. And if the French and English were already very much lukewarm about the competition um uh, for for this year. And I just think the way 
they've dealt with round the postponements in round two has added to that discontent. So I I don't know where it's going to end up, but I, I definitely think whoever wins it this year, it's not the same prestige as a as a normal year, given how many clubs have been affected um, by some of the the uh, the incidents. And again, it's no one's fault, but I, I just I just feel the competition is in a in a very bad place at the moment. It is, um, Wes, and you know, like, like the French, as they say, are committed to their top 14 domestic league, a be all and end all. And the Gallagher Premiership is going very well at the moment as well. And there's a bit of a buzz over there about um, some young England performances, uh, particularly Smith for Harlequin. So um, it wouldn't take an awful lot more to topple this cart over and just, you know, wash it out for the season, would it? No, and probably it'd be as much the long-term kind of ramifications you'd be worrying about at this stage because, you know, if teams de-invest, so to speak, then it's hard to get them back on board. Like, I mean, it's quite frustrating that there was such a good product and such a good tournament there and there was such a song and dance about change and certain things at the behest of the very leagues that now have yet more problems with it. Um I suppose, like, I don't think the organisers have helped themselves. We said it from the off. The format's been bizarre for the last two seasons. It doesn't seem to make any rhyme or reason. It's it's kind of been exacerbated by yesterday's decision. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Leinster are extremely frustrated about the situation. Like, even if it happened before the other fixtures, like it wasn't to do with the government restrictions, like, you know, there... <laughs> You see the WHO on saying half of Europe's population are going to have to cut this virus over the next few weeks, but like it's somehow someone's fault when they have a few yeah. cases. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know where it all stops, but like hopefully you just get through the best team still by hook or by crook managed to make it to that last 16. And then when things have settled down a little bit, um, pandemic wise, that the tournament builds up its own momentum through the knockout stages. But to be honest, I think I think a two-legged rugby match is ridiculous anyway, but sure, that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just well, on the Leinster, I guess, and the, the, the absence of games, Michael Glennon spoke to assistant coach Robin McBride and Andrew Porter as well about how they've been filling their time almost five weeks since they've last played a game. Just at the start, I think you said everyone's in the same boat, but really everyone is not in the same boat. Leinster are about to go five weeks without a match. What are you doing in camp to try and get them as prepared as they can be for, for a big um, European match? Uh, there's disruption, everyone's disrupted, but nobody has been disrupted as much as Leinster. Um, no, but I mean, when, when, does that, when does that disruption sort of level itself out? You know, if you miss, you know, three or four weeks, well, how much difference does it make missing a little bit more? I you know, I don't know. Anyway, we've all got to deal with these different challenges. So, um, you know, just focusing on, on making sure that the level of training doesn't drop off. So you had, you know, players um, and staff for that matter um, having periods of time away from you. Um, but we just focused on getting the consistency in our training so that the training's never dropped off. Uh, so everybody who's come back in after missing a couple of days, they've had to, to really get up on, uh, on the information and um, that's as much as we can do really, you know, and, uh, and try and keep everybody energised. Try and uh, still keep them looking forward to coming to it, coming to uh, coming to train. Um, so, you know, the nature of a trainer has changed a little bit. Uh, when you've got as much time in your hands, you can afford to sort of mess around or tinker with one or two things, have a play around with with certain things. So, um, yeah, definitely trying to keep them fresh, um, but also, you know, it's not sort of wasted 
uh, wasted time either. So, you know, you haven't got gone too far away from uh, from the plan, really. What happened to Dan Levy? Yeah, it's just one of those things. He just landed awkward on his hand. Um, uh, it's just a just a freak thing, really. So, uh, unfortunately for him, he's going to be out for eight weeks. Um, so it's it's uh, it's poor luck for him. Before the before the first round, Johnny was hoping to be back for for the second match, which obviously didn't go ahead. Johnny Sexton is he in the running now? Is he back at training and everything? Yeah, everybody's everybody's got a fit bit of health. I think there's two boys, unfortunately, because of COVID again. Um, that aren't able to, to train with us. But other than that, everybody's got a, got a clean bill of health. Um, so, yeah, as I said, the numbers this week are, are brilliant. Maybe can I just get your perception as a Welsh person about um, how you feel that the French view the European Cup? I know there's been periods with Toulon and Toulouse and Racing Goford after a while, but is there any perception there that the be-all and end-all for them is the top 14 and... They don't benchmark themselves off Europe as much as, say, the, the Irish provinces do. What's your perception on how they feel about the European Cup? I think I think it changes depending on what club you're in. Um, I think certain clubs do, certain clubs don't. Um, I think certain clubs, maybe if they're having a tough time in the top 14, they, they may focus a little bit more on survival mode uh, in that league as opposed to trying to make anything in Europe. But um, I think the best teams take it seriously. Um, you know, so... Um, yeah, Montpellier would take it seriously, I've got no doubt about that at all. Uh, they've got too many quality players, um, so you know they're riding high. And I think if you're in a competition and you've still got a chance to win, um, then you know, you're know going to sell yourself to it a lot a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think everybody's different, depending on where they sit and where they lie in the, in the, in the leagues, but it's going to be a massive challenge for us. Off the field, off the training field, how, how are you getting on? Is there lads kind of helping other lads out? Um, I mean, you must be going stir crazy after almost five weeks without a match. What, what's it like off the field? How are you all coping? Uh, off the field, I think it's, it's, it's been quite, it's quite refreshing kind of not having, having those games. Like, obviously, it's, it's strange, obviously, being mid-season. So, it's, it's kind of uncharted territory, a small because it's it's it very rarely happens like where you get that kind of uh, where you get no games for such a long period of time in in the middle of a season. So, um, it's it's almost like a small mental break as well. Like when you don't have you don't have that big build up for the games like mentally. So, like myself, I'd be, geez, I'd be nervous from from the Wednesday till the Saturday probably. Like so, it's 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 that kind of it's a bit of a let off in terms of like that mental kind of side of things. But on the other side of things, it's, it's, it's been great for our training and like, it's been great for the cohesion of the team really. So it's um, like, if anything, we've been working harder than we usually would because, because we don't have those games at the end of the week. So we can push ourselves more on training during, during the middle of the week. So um, on, yeah, on the, on the physical side of things, it's, it's been a bit tougher than it usually would, like in a in a normal week. But um, I think that'll really stand to us um, leading into these games. And is there any? I know it's difficult the way the the outbreak broke out in the Leinster camp. But have you been able to get together off the field for coffees and all that, or is it is is kind of everything even stricter now than it was before? Yeah, like obviously, obviously with the with the situation going on, like it's. Uh, we have to be even more careful now because because 
we've seen how how easily this um this uh omicron or whatever it is the how it transmits so it's just being extra careful and sure we're uh we have to be extra vigilant in, even in training as well as as well as outside so we're just limiting our risks inside and outside training and just uh adhering to all the medical advice we're given by by our team doctors and, and physios and everything so it's it's about it's we're really limiting kind of everything so it's 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 kind of tough obviously because it's it's not the not the norm but it's it's something that has to be done and and looking at the bigger picture it's 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 really important to do that and have you added anything to your hobbies are you is it more box sets more tv are you getting out for a game of golf is there anything say for example if you'd normally be able to meet up with the lads and now you can't what what's in that space now i'm barbecuing a lot more to be honest like um it's the middle of winter andrew huh it's the middle of winter oh yeah exactly we should look I don't know why, but uh, it's something I've, I've decided to take up. And geez, I might be the next master chef or something. Took very good, very good. Let's we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so that's the lads there. Just you know, we don't have a huge amount more time, uh, Johnny. But like you know, putting our kind of uh, you know conditioning hat on for a minute there. Like five weeks without a game. I thought Andrew Porter said he's been firing up the barbecue in the middle of winter and he's enjoying himself, and that's great for a tight head prop or a loose head prop as he is now, and um, because they can pack on a bit of power and stuff. But for everybody else, that lack of game time. Is it going to be a problem coming into this weekend, do you think? Or because they've been so chock-a-block with the fixtures over the last couple of years that maybe the time off might do the players some good? Yeah, like I was reading that as well. And the time off definitely will do some of those internationals some good. They've got a hectic schedule anyway. And Leinster has so many internationals that maybe they have used it as a chance to get a bit more, co- more cohesion within their group. But I don't think, you know, this suggestion of like a five-week preseason, they're going week by week with games called off. So it's not like you put the five-week block in place and you can kind of crack on into it. You know, I think there's there's definite disruptions even within those kind of ways of approaching training. Like I know they were saying that Robin McBride was saying that you know they were getting someone else to throw into the into the line out, and Josh Van der Clear was doing that and maybe feeding into the scrum. That's just trying to keep things exciting and ch- changing things to make sure the lads don't get bored of not playing games. I would imagine. Yeah, maybe we saw that in the Connacht game, but it was a bit of a, a one-off. Like you know, you don't see that too often. But um, I would think it's disruptive. You know, some guys will uh, manage that game time, get rid of niggles, um, and it'll be very. Um, very beneficial to them, but I think as a group, it's not as beneficial. I wouldn't like personally to be going into that uh, to this weekend if it goes ahead with having no game time in five weeks, you know. So, no, they've got the quality in their squad to get through that, whether it's ugly or not. Um, you know, they, they've got far too much uh, firepower to, to use that as an excuse and uh, internationals all over the place. But, you know, I wouldn't see it as a five-week preseason block. It just isn't planned out that way, and you're kind of going week to week, and the uncertainty for me, like, you know, Bernard, you know, from coaching and playing and uncertainty just isn't isn't that nice like you know we don't really like dealing with it we know what we we like to do what we think we're supposed to be doing especially as players your schedule is out for you and when you get changed you kind of get these kind of question marks around say of course they'll adapt to that but i don't really like the idea of it uh there there's definitely pros to it but there's just cons no doubt going into the weekend no absolutely um okay gents look enjoy the matches this weekend obviously uh, irish promises an action uh, as long as things don't change um the Daily Mail are, are reporting today that uh, an England international has been arrested on suspicion of, of raping a teenager, which is uh, an entirely grim story as well. But um, we don't know more details on it. The player can't be named for legal reasons. So look, it's something we'll keep an eye on and maybe talk about on the podcast next week. Um, enjoy the matches this weekend, gents. Thanks so much for your time. Talk to you soon. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.